When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Have you been thinking about maybe having your own podcast? Well, if you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. First and foremost, it's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. And then Anchor, they'll distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify and Apple and many more. With Anchor, you can start to make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership as well. It's truly everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. That's A-N-C-H-O-R dot F-M. The following podcast is an Embassy Row production. In My Heart, a podcast truly about all of the things in my heart and finding our freedoms. I'm your host, Heather Thompson. Be sure to stay tuned after today's interview for Hollaback. That's my Q&A where I'm answering questions from my listeners, so be sure to stay tuned. Dr. Pierre Boutin is a board-certified orthopedic surgeon with over 25 years of experience treating patients, a native of Quebec. Dr. Boudin attended the University of Ottawa for medical school and then trained at the University of Florida, where she was the first woman to graduate from an orthopedic surgery program in the state. Her dad is also a doctor, and he's also an orthopedic surgeon, so she followed in his footsteps, and they've done some great philanthropic work in Haiti, hearing the need for French-speaking orthopedic surgeons, she and her father, George Boutin. They arrived within days of an earthquake and performed life-saving surgeries. For more than 20 years of practicing surgery and after a half a dozen of her own broken bones, Dr. Boone's practice evolved. She now focuses on methods to maintain and regain health in order to eliminate unnecessary surgery. Her work has been featured in the Boston Globe. She's currently the surgical expert for Women's Health Network. She has a second book in progress, The Magnetic Power of Little Mo, a memoir of a relationship with her Berber boy from Morocco and their shared journey to correct his club feet. Dr. Booten lives in the Berkshires of Massachusetts. She's the mother of three. 
And she is my doctor who has also grown her practice to include women's health initiatives and issues. I'm so excited to have her on the show. Dr. Boone, welcome. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, I'm so happy you're here. So I wanted to talk to you um, about your newest book. I mean, you've written a couple books and we can talk a little bit about those at the end. I want you know you to share a little bit more about that. But this book is not published yet, but it's written. And I didn't want to wait necessarily uh, until it was published because it's pressing information. I think that the information that you have available to us is stacking the odds in our favor against disease. So oftentimes we understand that our doctors are there to help treat our illnesses and cure our illnesses, but oftentimes we don't talk enough about prevention. And this is a little bit of both. And it's a personal story for me because um, I started breaking bones in my 40s and in my 50s, finding out that I, well, even earlier than that, but finding out that I had osteopenia and then osteoporosis and everything that comes with that, including, you know, hormonal symptoms and the whole picture. And I had to combine it and figure out what I could do so I could feel better. But, uh, you know, I realized so many women go through this and don't get the attention and the help. That's, that's right. So the book that she wrote is how to avoid a broken bone. And it really provides you with the knowledge you need to protect your bones and avoid fractures, right? That's obvious. But I wanted to talk a little bit more about preparation for women, the inevitable menopause and age related bone loss, which too often leads to fractures. And we've often heard of our loved ones that are um, in their elderly ages, like it, breaking a hip and then dying. So I, you know, listen, I, I met Pierre, I, I called Pierre because I was going through menopause and I was having a lot of different symptoms. And you're like, you go to an orthopedic surgeon for menopause. And the answer is, well, hell yes. And so I also started breaking bones because of my activities. I, um, have always been really active, but I've just been able to avoid breaks and injuries. It just so happened that mine started to happen in my late forties and, you know, Pierre was like, and I was in the office talking about menopause. She's like, what's going on with that wrist? And what's going on with that knee? And what's you doing? And we started to talk a little bit. She's like, you do not want to start breaking bones right now. And she started to caution me to it. And I wanted to just talk about that. Not, not so much. I mean, in your book, you mentioned that the most common fracture in women um, around 50 to 60 years old is a broken wrist, right? And that's exactly what I broke. Now I was climbing a mountain in the Himalayas. I don't think that's like what most people do breaking their wrist, but can you talk to us? Just give us a little intro about how we're going to learn on this podcast right now to stack the odds in our favor and prevent bone breakage, bone loss. As we age, we want to stay healthy and strong. You're such a good patient. (laughs) However, you are not a typical patient. Your level of activities is not the normal range. (laughs) Um, But you're right. You know, between 45 to 60, the most common broken bone is a wrist in women. And it's actually a precursor to hip fractures. Women who break their wrist in their 40s and 50s are at much higher risk of having a broken hip. And like you said, 50% of people who break a hip don't survive a year. Right. And even if they do survive, their lifestyle is so dramatically altered, it's it's sad. And these are things that we can do something about. Yes. But I'd say 90 to 100% of people, of women that I see in my office with a broken wrist, nobody's ever addressed their bones. 
I often hear, listen, it was a really bad fall. That's why I broke my bone. You're right. You probably would have broken the bone when you were 20 or 30 if you had that severe of a fall. But two things happen when we get older. One of them is we fall more often. We don't catch ourselves as much. We, we think we're strong, but we're not. We really have to make an active effort of staying really strong. And we can talk about the type of exercise that helps your balance. And second, when you're young and you break a bone, you break it in two places. It just splits. But when you're a little bit older, huh, um, your bone will break in three, four, ten pieces. It more, it's more like a, if you take you crack an egg, even though it may not be super displaced, there's a whole bunch of little cracks all over yeah. it. And that's typical of, a, of a osteoporotic fractures. So I can tell right by looking at the type of fracture if that person has soft bones or bones, brittle bones that I need to be worried about. And what's sad is this can be addressed. Although, you know, it's, it's not really you and me who should be talking. We should be talking to a 20-year-old. That's right. Yeah, that's why I wanted to have you on because we can inform people my age and over, right, so that they understand what's happening. But this is about prevention. This podcast for me is about prevention and stacking the odds in the favor for the youth today to do the right things to gear themselves up for healthy old age we're living longer. Absolutely. And the, the two main things that I see um, is smoking. Yes. I mean, if you smoke between the age of 15 to 25, I mean, uh, yeah, you're in trouble. That's when you are building the maximum, your maximum bone stock. And it, even if you quit smoking at 25, at 60, you will have osteoporosis because you smoked in your 20s. That is the worst time to be smoking. If you want to smoke, start at 40. Right. <laughs> Don't start at right. 15. Five. Um, so, so smoke is a big one. The other one is um, diet. Yes. And the problem with our young girls, not so much the guys, but maybe it, it, all of America, first of all, we have a, not a very good diet. We have an acidic diet, which uh, that means too much meat and too many, too much sweets and processed foods. But we also have problems with our young women about oh, I don't want to gain weight. So they get a little too skinny and they starve themselves for a couple of days and then they only eat popcorn and they, they don't eat anything healthy. So they go on these yo-yo diets and their digestion, I mean, how many girls in their 20s have digestive issues? Oh, I'm always bloated. Well, that matters. Get your gut and shelf. The, the, the bacteria, your microbiome of the gastrointestinal tract is key because those years, those younger years is when you make bones and that's when you absorb all your nutrients and your and the building blocks for bones. And if you don't do that, then, then instead of starting, you know, when you, it's normal to start losing bone, when you're 50, you gradually start losing some bone, mm -hmm. but you, it'd be nice to start from up here and not start from here. Yes. Because if you start from here, you end up in osteoporosis very fast. If you start with a really good bone stock, even if you lose some bone, you're going to be fine. Yeah. There's a little, you know, there's a gray area there, a protective area. So the key thing for me, for when I see young people is don't smoke, which we all know, but, and get your gut and a good, healthy gut. And that often takes a lot of work and you have to work with someone. You have to do a lot of cooking and you have to shop and cook and do the groceries differently. Yeah. It's, it's such an important uh, topic because, so what we're saying is that, and I want, I'm going to, in a second, I want, um, Pierre, to explain really what osteoporosis is, because I want you, want you to define that, make people understand, because what happens is that when we're in our 20s and 30s, we're not really thinking about life in our 60s and 70s, but we are living longer. 
And the things that we do now uh, are important for our reserve tanks later, right? And so smoking cigarettes, we know, uh, has every check against it. Like, you know, I always say you can pretty much find any answer you want now on the World Wide Web. Like, if you look hard enough, you can find the answer you want but not really when it comes to smoking cigarettes and not really when it comes to sugar. There's a, there's a few things that like nobody's going to tell you that smoking cigarettes is healthy for you. And nobody's going to tell you that way too much processed sugar, you know, refined sugars and processed foods are good for you. Um, you know, well, some of the big food companies might trick you into thinking that with marketing, but it's not the case. So we're going to start off by just reminding people that the choices that you make in your youth certainly do affect you in your old age. So I smoked cigarettes in my 20s. I didn't start smoking cigarettes. I hated them. I thought they were horrible until college. For some reason, drinking Jolt Jolt Cola, which was like double the caffeine soda and smoking a Marlboro Light became appealing to me. And that's how I studied for exams. We would cram for exams and I'd smoke cigarettes and drink Jolt Cola it didn't last. The Jolt Cola only lasted maybe one semester and I stopped soda because it's so horrible. But the cigarettes lasted for a while. So I, I quit smoking cigarettes like uh, I smoked from 20 to 30, 10 years from 20 to 30. I smoked cigarettes. And now what and I'm a very healthy person. I have a very strong microbiome. I get all of that about nutrition, but I'm, I'm going to maybe have some hurdles in my future. We just did a bone density test on on me. And, you know, we look and saw my bone intensity, but can you explain what osteoporosis is and why we have to be careful about it? Okay. So I just want to say a little bit what bone is made out of. Yeah. So you have a matrix, a three-dimensional matrix, like a sponge. It's a little bit soft and that's the bone matrix. That's what gives shape to the bone. And then you have crystals, hydroxyapatite crystals that deposit on top all over that sponge. All of, and so the sponge is the collagen. And then you have some crystals made out of mostly calcium and phosphorus that are deposited along the sponge and it makes the sponge really firm. And um, so there's two parts to bone, the collagen and the crystals. So you can have a poor collagen matrix or you can have low crystal deposit. But osteoporosis, you think about the sponge, you can have a sponge that has really big holes in it. And so that's, you can tear that apart a lot easier than a sponge that's very, very dense. And the bigger the holes, the, the less uh, surface area there is to have the crystal deposits. So the bones become weak. So they become porous with age. We all, that's why parotid, they become porous. The more porous the bone is, the weaker, the more fragile, the more they break. And it's, you know, it's a spectrum. There's normal and there's osteopenia and there's osteoporosis. But really, like in a diabetic, if I see just osteopenia, not even bad, not even just borderline osteopenia, not even anywhere close to osteoporosis, I will probably assume that they have osteoporosis because diabetics have a low, uh, as not a very good collagen matrix. So I have to be a lot more sensitive. They break bones earlier and faster. So it's not a black and white thing. You have to look at the whole picture and treat the whole patient. Right. A hundred percent. Are they on a medication? Have they been on an antidepressant for five years? The longer you're on an antidepressant, the higher risk. After five years, you double your risk of osteoporosis. And how many of our young people who are building bones right now between 15 and 25, and how many people 
in their 50s who are going through menopause and somehow people think that menopause is depression. It's not. It's lack of hormones, but that are on antidepressants. They're taking benzodiazepines and these type of Xanax and, 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 and you know, the sleeping one. What's that one? Ambien. Yeah. Well, a lot of doctors think that women are depressed because they're going through menopause, but it's not. They just lost their estrogen. They need a little help. Yeah. But not with an antidepressant. It's a Well, that's how I found you. So not to digress from osteoporosis to menopause, but I, I was being told basically that, um, I should take a depression medicine. Do you remember when I came to see you? Because, um, I wasn't sleeping and I didn't feel myself and I was teary eyed a lot. And I was like, something's going on with me. And they literally, a gynecologist prescribed me anti-depression medicine. And what I learned was I was in perimenopause. And so, which is pre-menopause. And so it was early, you get it early. And so my estrogen levels were messed up and even my testosterone levels, which women don't forget, we have some of that too. Um, and then testosterone too. Yes. Because remember, progesterone is what helps you sleep. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so the, the mood's not going to be stable. So those are all hormones that we have in our bodies that you might have never heard of. You know what I mean? Progesterone. We all heard of testosterone and estrogen, but we've never, maybe some people that are not doctors and well-versed in this stuff, don't even know that that's a hormone that we need. So what you do in terms of uh, your depression or how you're treating those things, I don't want you to not take, uh, you know, the right medicine to treat your depression, because, you know, to worry about uh, broken bones in the future. That's not the idea. But the idea is when you have to do, it's a one plus one equals two equation. And if you are doing something that could maybe lead to something in the future, then there's a prevention that you have to look out for in between. So how are you feeding yourself while you're taking an antidepressant, which also, by the way, will help your depression too. I think, Absolutely. you know, when we're eating refined, you know, like processed foods and things like that, they tend to mess up serotonin levels and things, right? There's a reason why if your B12 level is low, you have depression. You can give that person as much antidepressant you want, unless you get that B12, which through nutrients or supplements, yeah. you're still going to be depressed. So you got to look at the source of their depression. I mean, is it because of a trauma in their life? Is it systemic? Is it uh, hormonal? Is it nutritional? But nutrition helps just about all symptoms of uh, depression. Uh, can I ask a question as a, as a doctor? So one of the things that I... When we go get to the doctor and we get a diagnosis, like we say, we're not feeling well, I think, you know, I thank God I'm blessed with integrative doctors in my life that I've found. They always ask me about my diet or what's happening in my life. They don't just like prescribe me a medicine, my doctors, but many doctors do that. Blood tests, I think are really important. And sometimes, but you, can you guide us a little bit with that? Because if I didn't have a blood test from you to look at where my estrogen was and where my progesterone was and where my testosterone was, and you just gave me something, it's kind of guesswork, right? So if someone is on and like feels depressed and they go to a doctor and they feel like they maybe need an antidepressant, is a blood test important for something like that? Is that something they should ask? Not all the time. Okay. But most, if you are younger and you're perimenopausal, Mm -hmm. or I'm not sure if you're all the way through menopause, then I do have to get blood tests because I have to see how high your progesterone is compared to your estrogen. And it depends what kind of dosing I do when I give you bioidentical hormones. However, if you're 70 years old, you've already been through menopause for 15 years. Now, testing for your hormones is going to be zero. Right. They're gonna be, that's just right. kind of wasting time. Um, so it really, 
has to be individualized. So what about for like a 20 something year old who is feeling depressed or especially, you know, we've got a lot, the world is a very, you know, difficult place right now. There's a lot of new, weird, you know, new normals as we're calling them going on, um, you know, and someone's having a hard time coping with it. Should they maybe check their B12 levels, have a blood test before they do something like that? They should do a couple things. Okay. Um, you know, the interview is so important. I mean, is this patient sleeping? There are a lot of young people who are not sleeping well or young women who are having abnormal period. Their period are so heavy. And if you find that out, then their hormones are out of whack. And our diet, I mean, there's a reason why young girls now start having a period at eight and nine years old. That's our diet. But that diet often follows through all the way, you know, through their life and their progesterone is too high and their estrogen is too low and they're having horrible symptoms. So on day 21, after the onset of their period, you have to do some hormone testing to make sure that that's not the cause. The history interview is very important for you. I think I picked it up because you weren't sleeping. I was like, wait a minute, we have a different conversation. Yes. This generation is not spending as much time outside than the last generation. Yeah. Um, I, I, I see such a big difference when I start to, I, I get the levels, but when I start young men, especially, they seem to be more men than girls spending time on the computer, but both of them do. Young people, 15 to 25, invariably have really low vitamin D levels. And if I put them on vitamin D, they're, they're a different person three weeks later. Right. It, it's amazing. So yeah, I would check vitamin D12. I would check the iron. I would check their vitamin D, um, D levels. I would check their hormones. That's super important to spend time with the person. Yes, I love that. So look at the whole picture because most of the time everything's connected. Your period or connects into your digestion problems, to your sleep issues, to how you feel about yourself, to your depression. These are all connected. We are all one unit. You can't separate all the body parts. Right. Oh my God. That's the best thing. We are one unit. And so when you're putting something in your mouth or you're smoking something or doing excess, drinking too much alcohol, eating too much processed food, not sleeping enough. These are all the things that they, they do affect the whole system. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. The, the thing that I get a lot is somebody comes in, I got my bone density test and my left hip shows a little bit of bone loss, but my right hip is okay. And my back is okay. So I don't have a problem. Like, wait a minute. Bone is all one unit. Your, your left hip is connected to the spine, which is connected to the right hip. It's just an indication right. of all of it together. You can't separate one from the other. Right. I often have to explain that that's one system. Yeah. I love, okay. So let's go back again a little bit too. So what I, you know, we're here to talk about bone health and women's health and menopause, but we're just here to talk about also overall general wellness and health. And, you know, obviously you, you heard my intro, you know, Pierre has, you know, well-versed in a lot of things. Um, but I, I think one of the things that I'm really getting focused on here during this podcast is that exercise, diet, sleeping habits, our extracurricular activities affect us. And when we go to the doctor, I think one of the things we have to first say to ourselves is like being honest with ourselves. You know what I mean? Like before you go to the doctor, like if you're not sleeping well, but you're drinking, you know, a a bottle and a half of wine every night before you go to bed, like you got to try to X out the wine first and then see how you're sleeping. Right. Like we've got to do a little bit of self-testing and self-realization, right? Accountability. Accountability. Great, great word. Yes. You have to be accountable. But at the same time, as a doctor, I have to be kind 
you know, it's very nice for me to tell the patient, you know, you got to start exercising, you know, stop complaining about being overweight. You got to start exercising. But if somebody's tired and their thyroid is off, in fact, most doctors only test the T4, the TSH, they forget they don't do the T3 and it's very important to do because that's the active form. But if your thyroid is low or your vitamin D is three, it, it is abnormal or low or other blood tests. For me to just say, go exercise, it's almost overwhelming. Yes. So you sometimes you have to work step by step with the patient to get them to the point where they can go outside and do that. Yes. It's not, you know, to say, well, you just didn't eat well, or you just didn't exercise. They're already depressed or, or down and not because they're weak. It's because there is something physiologically abnormal that needs to be corrected. Right. So when my patients see me, I, I usually make it really clear that this is not a one-time visit. This is a long-term relationship until we get you out of the woods. Yeah. Oh, that's wonderful because I mean, that's what you should have those relationships. And, you know, you guys, you can choose your doctor. That's a choice that you get to make. And when you go into the waiting room and you meet with that doctor, if you feel rushed or you don't feel right about it, you know, go with your gut and you, you can find and, and, and get second opinions and find other doctors. Dr. You know, Pierre wasn't my first, you know, visit to the, you know, menopause party. You know, but she was my, (laughs) she was my final and my last stop, thank God. And, you know, I just kept persevering because I knew I was gonna, I wasn't being treated the way I feel, I felt like was right for me. And so I found what was right for me. And I had, you know, I was well-versed with doctors because of my son, because of Jax. And, you know, we had so many doctors because of all of his medical issues. And I realized, because, you know, we put doctors on a pedestal and we should, they, there's a lot of training and there's a lot of work and they're dedicated service people to society that they dedicate their lives to make society healthy and keep it better. But w- they're just normal people like you and I, and there are good back doctors and bad doctors, just like there's good farmers and bad farmers and good people and bad people. You know what I mean? And sometimes they don't realize that they're bad. It's just their training or they just lacked, you know, follow up or more training or whatever. You know what I mean? There's a million reasons why, but it's about the connection that you have with the doctor. And, you know, I think asking the questions like osteoporosis, going back to that, it doesn't hurt. You don't feel it. It's not something that you know is happening. And until it's too late, until something happens where you break a bone and then you get looked at and tested and they say, oh, well, you know, you're in like stage whatever of osteoporosis or you're early osteoporosis. So, so I, we go, we understand that I smoked cigarettes. I ate a pretty lousy diet as a kid. My mom had a fast food restaurant, you know, breakfast, lunch, and dinner place. So I would, you know, drop the chicken cutlet in the fry basket, you know, with a bunch of French fries and put it on a white enriched bun. And I'd even melt a piece of like processed American cheese on it. And then maybe add mayonnaise with lettuce and tomato. I mean, to a fried chicken cutlet on a white enriched bun. It wasn't good. It wasn't good. Um, but I learned about food because I educated myself about food. I was reading every diet theory out there and then I went and, and furthered my education. And so I, I you did that so I could share my knowledge with people. And so that's what this is about. It's about sharing knowledge, finding my things. So I know that I didn't eat great as a kid, but I eat really well as a middle-aged woman. And, you know, I smoked cigarettes, uh, you know, in my twenties, but I don't smoke cigarettes today. And so 
I'm doing the right things to stack the odds in my favor against osteoporosis as much as I can. You know, I like alcohol. You know, I drink alcohol. I've been told by breast cancer doctors, like even one glass of wine is bad for a woman. I mean, uh, like as extreme as that. And what I believe in is life and living life and living in the moment for what it is. But just knowing when you make a choice that there's accountability. Absolutely. That's exactly where I was going to be, go. I mean, you are accountable. You're admitting you smoke. You're admitting you do that you, you, you didn't eat well and you're doing the best you can and still balancing with being happy and having a good time. Now, there's certain things that are worse than other things. So, I mean, for, for example, salt. I don't know how many patients who are, have osteopenia or osteoporosis and they have no idea that salt is bad for you. The only way that our bodies can get rid of salt is by binding to calcium. So every time you, you ha- eat a salt, you lose a calcium. Wow. And it, and, it, and it actually, it goes through your kidneys and you could end up with more kidney stones. That's so point. it's really important to avoid salt. So meaning salt that you sprinkle on, you know, or like when you, so let's talk a little bit about that. So the soy sauce is the worst. Yes. So you could, we all love soy, soy sauce. sauce. But I always uh, drink the low, so, I, I don't drink it, but I eat, I take the low sodium. Not sodium on the low sodium soy sauce. I don't do it anymore. I don't even put soy sauce on my sushi anymore. Every once in a while, Uh I'll take a little dip of a low sodium if it's like a crazy roll where I feel like it needs that over a glass of alcohol. Okay, so no more soy (laughs) sauce. We can have wine, but no more soy sauce, people. Okay, you know, I don't know how far along you are, but I want to make sure that people know that there are four or five basic building blocks to bones. So you're doing the exercise, you're eating well, you're avoiding the things that make, that aggravate or that cause that bone loss. Um, name what those are. are. Can you name a couple of what those things are? Coffee. So limit, coffee has 29 different acids in it. It's very acidic. So try to limit to one or two cups a day. Yep. But you know, you see on commercials, everybody's wa- or on TV on all the shows, they're all walking around with those big cafe latte, I don't know uh. what, but way too much coffee and and calories and sugar with those things. I always think of a construction worker with coffee. They drink it all day long or someone who cooks in a restaurant, like my mother's restaurant. My mother drank coffee all day long. Yeah. I have, and they can't feel about it. Yeah. It's hard. It's hard to weed out that. That's very addictive. Yeah. So that's one thing you already mentioned the alcohol, the sugar, but everybody knows sugar is bad for you, but they don't think about bread. Bread actually triggers your insulin response even higher than sugar. So you've got to be careful with bread and pasta and white rice. All those white carbs are also pretty bad. Can you explain to them what happens when you eat a piece of white bread in your body? So you can eat a little bit of sugar and your insulin goes up and it comes right back down. You eat a piece of bread, your insulin goes up just as much, but it stays up because it's a complex carb. So it stays up much longer. And actually, it's not the sugar that's the problem that's toxic to your body. It's the insulin that's toxic to your body. And after a while, you produce so much insulin that your body becomes resistant to insulin and you become a diabetic. Right. Um, and so bread is probably even more toxic than straight sugar. So let's talk about that for a second. Cause you know, we were raised on, you know, milk, bread, and butter here in this country, red, white, and blue. Right. So people are like, well, how do I not eat bread? Right. So there are choices that you can make like limit how much bread, you know, don't have a sandwich every day. Don't have bread at the beginning of every meal. It's all just empty calories. But if you are going to make a bread choice, 
a darker bread, like pumpernickel, right? Any bread that you can crush up into your hand and make into like a snowball, like throw it out. But bread that has hard consistency or sourdough bread, which is built with enzymes in it. Talk about that a little bit. That's, it has enzymes in it. And those are one of the supplements that we need to, that we're going to go over. It has some enzymes in it, but it's still a lot of wheat and often just bleached white flour. A flour. So I'm not too crazy about that. If you're going to have bread, have it with a meal. So where you have a lot of protein. So it kind of counteracts this, this insulin surge, one. And two, look if you can literally see the seeds. If you can crunch it, it's probably okay. Oh. And like you said, pumpernickel or rye, but a lot of rye is mixed. Yeah. And you know, all this brown bread and uh, whole wheat bread, that's crap. Right. It doesn't even make a difference. If you really, if you have to eat bread and you think you're doing yourself a favor by eating whole wheat bread, you're not. <laughs> exactly. So, you know, those are some of the things. Um, and this, so we'll go over the supplements. One of them is calcium. We all know calcium is important for you, but not a crazy amount. If you eat a decent diet, you've got enough calcium. Anything that was ever alive, so any vegetable, plant, or animal have calcium in them. So if you eat a good diet, you're going to probably get enough calcium as long as you don't have any bowel digestion problems. Then there's vitamin D. Okay, you can't get enough vitamin D from the sun. You'd have to lie in the sun naked for eight hours a day in order to get enough sun, enough vitamin D. So um, as we get older, we need more and more vitamin D. We don't absorb it through our skin as well. We don't absorb it through our digestive system as well. So that you can't. And the next one is vitamin K2. K2, it's, a lot of people don't know about it, but it's key. Um, it actually takes the calcium out of your blood, out of circulation, and puts it into the bone. Otherwise, the calcium just circulates, and it doesn't know where to go. It can either go into your heart and make a, a plaque, which leads to heart, heart attacks, attack, yeah. or it can go to kidneys and make a kidney stone. Mm-hmm. So it's really important. It's probably, K2 is probably more important than D3. How, that how do we period. eat K2? What vegetables have K2? It's kind of hard to get yeah. um, enough K, the K2. You can eat it in a lot of foods. However, it's the bacteria in your gut that converts the K, the vitamin K to vitamin K2, the active form. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people are missing that bacteria. So I tell most of my patients, you have to be on K2. That one, don't even think about food for that one. Just take it. So for someone in their 20s, like we talked about the prevention, like probiotic and gut health is what you need to really stay on top of right now. And you can get a lot of uh, of, your pro- of your probiotic, of your bacteria through fermented foods. Yeah. I'm having a kombucha. I love the picture on this one. I just started making my own. I'm having so much fun with it. That's a great idea. So gut health real quick is probiotics, fermented food, uh, like, you know, uh, sauerkraut, kimchi, pickles, things like that, you guys, or kombucha. Yeah. As long as the kombucha is not sweetened with too much sugar. Yes. You got to watch the show. Read your labels, guys. You don't want anything like, I mean, the doctor will probably even not say this to me, but if, if anything has five grams of sugar or below, then I'll take it off the shelf. But anything above five grams of sugar, added sugar, I won't. Oh, good for you. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. And finally, magnesium. Magnesium is super important. It helps in the bone, uh, in two parts for bone. It helps in the formation of the actual collagen, and it helps for the calcium, the hydroxyapatite, to be deposited on the um, collagen. So really important. But mag- I don't like combining magnesium with calcium. Calcium actually wakes you up. Magnesium puts you Yes. So I, I, I recommend calcium in the morning and magnesium at bedtime. 
And the older we are and the more stressed we are, and especially during menopause, you need more uh, magnesium, lots and lots of magnesium. And you can't overdose on it because it just goes right through your stools. It's not a big deal to take too much magnesium. You don't store it. So you need it. I take it. <laughs> I just ordered more. I just ordered more D. I'm like, I'm on BD and, and, and magnesium. Yeah. And they've, they've made a huge, you say good, you, you prescribe them. Um, and <laughs> they've made a big difference. You know, the thing is, is that when something's working, we keep, we keep at it. You know, like you mentioned about exercise, like when someone's already overwhelmed, you're like, well, you need to get out and exercise. Like that's not helping them. But just remember you guys like walking is exercise, like, you know, getting up and moving your body after a meal, like right now, you with you know, being, you know, at home, staying at home much more than we have, like don't become a couch potato. You know, that's, that's a tip in your book. You know what I mean? Like make sure that you are moving your body. Like we're meant to move our bodies and it doesn't mean that you have to like sweat three gallons and go to the gym for five hours a day. Just moving your body, healthy, natural body movement is important. You know, one of the things that I want to mention, people feel, you know, we've all heard that exercise helps your bones. It helps to build bone. And that is true until you start losing your hormones. So if you exercise a lot as a teenager in your 20s, in your 30s, it makes a huge difference. You start off with much better bones before you get into menopause. However, once you lose your hormones, exercise no longer really builds bone. It helps maintain your bone mass, but it doesn't build it up. Do not count on just exercise to build your bones after menopause. I often get women, oh, I you know, I do 5Ks all the time. I don't need medication. I don't need treatment. You still do after menopause. And I'll give you an example. Exercise, the effect of exercise is really good for balance and strength. So therefore you avoid falls because it takes two things to break a bone. You have to have bad bones and you have to fall. But if you don't fall, then chance of breaking a bone are much less. But like I ran, I did triathlons. I ran marathons. I mean, I've been super, you know, done a lot of sports and I've been a super athlete yeah. for a long time. Not at your level, but exercise. Oh, don't be so sure. <laughs> but um, you're hot stuff, sister. But I still don't have great bones. So I didn't build enough bones for all those years and most likely because of digestive issues. And I didn't pay attention to it. I know I knew I didn't feel good. I knew it caused other things. Like I feel like sleeping. I'm my, I'm in my brain is in a fog. I, but I never thought for a minute about my bones in it. Now I realize it was a huge factor and it is in my patients. I mean, all patients with, um, uh, irritable bowel syndrome, you know, they or IBD, uh, SIBO, Crohn's disease. They all end up getting bone loss. Osteoporosis. No bone mass. Yeah. It's, I mean, the marathon runner doesn't know she has osteoporosis potentially. And so that's what we have to look out for. It's those, those things that we don't know. And, you know, exercise, you know, before, after menopause, let's, let's say, you know, it will build muscle, you know, and muscle will support your bones. And so that's important. But if your bone density is already an issue and you don't know that, you know what I mean? The exercise is not going to do anything to help it. That's where the supplements come in, like magnesium and watching salt intake or none at all, you know, and these types of things, starting to make choices to stack the odds in your favor, because we're not only necessarily talking about 60s, 70s, but like at 80, do you know what I mean? Like when that's when, when someone really falls and breaks a bone, our bones are alive. Don't forget. They're not Our dead. bones are alive. I love that. Yes. 
Yeah, they're alive. There's blood running through them. They live, they breathe. They're not just- uh, you know, a broken hip, losing your function, having somebody having to take care of you. You know, you, you want to die of a sudden heart attack and not wake up in the morning. Having a broken hip, you right. don't want to have a broken ankle, a broken wrist, a broken leg, and just gradually deteriorate. It's just not okay. And since this is uh, uh, preventable, I want people to, to, to be aware of this. And uh, people are not. They put it back there. They kind of heard about it. They don't do anything about it. And I must say, you know, we haven't mentioned it, but I sometimes put people on prescription medication. I'm not against that. There are side effects. However, the side effect of a broken hip are much worse than the possible side effects of prescription medication. Yeah. That's always what your doctor, a good doctor would be balancing. You know, there's a risk of reward, you know what I mean? And what's worse and so sometimes that's what happens. I mean, with Jack's, with his, you know, my kid had a liver transplant. He has to be on anti-rejection medicines. He has to be on steroids that maybe aren't so great for his kidneys, but or his bones. So, so we're gonna have to watch Jack's. We're gonna let's talk about that a little. So <laughs> my kid, we know that's just kind of it's like a good case study, you know. So Jack's at you know six months old had a liver transplant, so he's been on medicine his entire life and likely will be for his entire life. So diet's really important to Jack's. How he treats his body to stack the odds in his favor for healthy, strong bones and body in his later years is really important. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and he's the kind of kid, he, he can't not take those medications. He needs those medications. So he has to do everything right. else to stack in his favor. You know, there's a little trick I like. And because it's, it's hard to avoid and be good all the time. Like you said, you know, I want to have my glass of wine every day. Yeah, I, it's hard to be good all the time. So we need to keep our diet alkaline. And one of the ways to do that is to take some sodium bicarb and a little glass of water four times a day. It doesn't take. That's like baking soda yeah, baking you're talking soda. about. A little yeah. glass of water. Don't make it too big because it doesn't taste good. Tastes good. Sour. <laughs> Do that a couple times a day. It really alkalinizes your blood. And that's what your body likes. Your body works much, much better in an alkaline milieu than in an acidic milieu. And another thing too is, um, which is odd, but you can squeeze a lemon, half a lemon and a glass mm-hmm. of water and just sip on that a couple times a day, you know, two glasses a day. And it changes the pH of your urine. And it actually helps for kidney stones. <laughs> I tell my, you know, health and wellness people, I mean, I don't really, you know, coach, but all the people that I talk to that ask me for advice from my food brand and that sort of thing, I always make them go to bed at night with a glass of water with lemon squeezed in it. And when they wake up in the morning, it's the first thing I tell them to do. And I say, it's alkalizing your body and it's getting your digestive tract ready for the day. You know what I mean? Like, and you're hydrating your system. So for a lot of people that don't drink enough water, which I sometimes am that person, I find myself, I'm like, God, I, you know, like I either drink a lot of water or I don't drink enough water. It's like, that's one of my things. If I'm really working out and training for something, I I drink gobs and gobs of water. And then like this week, just coming, preparing for the podcast, I was like, I really drink that much water today. Like, you know what I mean? I think in my dinner glass, you know, like half full. So, um, Really hydrating your body yourself is is a key thing, and do it in the morning, like when you first like leave it right on your bedstand and throw it back. It's the best way you to know, get and, rid of toxins. Yeah, best way to get rid of toxins is hydration. Water, 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 water. We don't drink enough water. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and also fiber. You know, fiber rich diets, right? That's an, people don't eat enough fiber, 
and, you know, fiber cholesterol glabs onto fiber and it exits it out your body. So all these things have, um, attributes that you don't even know about. And, you know, people get confused. Fiber is actually a prebiotic. People are like, what's a prebiotic? What's a probiotic? That just makes sense. But fiber is food that we do not digest. But bacteria, the good kind of bacteria, love fiber. So it's food for the bacteria. So that's why it's called a prebiotic. But that's not for us. It's for the bacteria in our gut. Yes. Oh, that's... I'm glad she brought that up. So prebiotics are the actual healthy bacteria and probiotics, I mean, probiotics are the actual healthy bacteria, pardon me. And prebiotics are what feed yes. it. That's what it eats to so grow and colonize and live and uh, yeah. procreate. Absolutely. And yeah. Okay. Good. You know, we talk about getting rid of toxins through, um, urination, but you really have to go to the bathroom every day. You have to have a bowel movement every day, whatever it takes, eat more vegetables. Even if you have to take somebody to think to help you while you work on your diet, you do that. Yes. I tell people all the time, if you're putting food in and you're not eliminating, you're not putting food out immediately, you've got to check something. And the first thing I tell them to check is their gut health. Yeah. So let's get your gut flora and your gut balance informed because your digestion is not working properly and you're not eliminating. So, you know, I'll ask them to, yeah, it's toxic in your body. That stuff's supposed to leave. The body has already taken out the nutrients that it's supposed to through the digestion process and put it where it needs it. And then it sends the rest through the large intestine and down through the bowels and out it goes. (laughs) And if you're not eliminating, it really is a problem. And people don't think that it's a problem. I've always done that. I always go to the bathroom every three, four days. Yeah. What? No, 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 no. That's not okay. Yes. Maybe it's that way, but you've had a problem a long time. We need to. Yes. Yeah. So natural elimination every single day. If that's a first sign, if something's wrong with your body, if you're not going to the bathroom now, I'm not saying like if one day in the week you didn't go to the bathroom is because like, you know, you had like, you know, four cheese lasagna dinner or something, but I'm telling you, if this is a regular issue for you, you know, and by the way, if you do that, then you want to counter that four cheese lasagna the next day with something good. So hydrate, have a, you know, kombucha, get your digestive tract flowing. You know what I mean? There's always a counter. Yeah. Little sodium. So baking soda, little baking soda in a glass will help, um, you know, in like four ounces of water is a little tip that you can have. Well, there's, there's a million things to talk about. And obviously uh, with, you know, 25 plus years of experience as a doctor, you know, under her belt. And we, we, I could talk to her for seven hours about this, but this is, I'm going to, please, I hope you'll come back. There's so much more to talk about, but I, where can we find you? We can, I would love for my viewers to be able to, you know, find you. I know when the book's published, I want them to be able to know when it's out. And let's just talk a little bit about, um, your other book, because there is another book that, that you read. One is a, a personal story about the adoption of your son, which is beautiful. And I want you to read that too. Um, but it, tell them also about arthritis. You have a book on arthritis as well. Um, I do. It's the correlation, the d- description of different types of art- uh, arthritis and what you can do to prevent it, there's a lot of things you can do before you need a knee replacement or a hip replacement. And too often the options are nothing, live with pain, or have surgery. And that's such a big gap that needs to be filled. And that's what the book is about. Great. And so, uh, but I have to say, it's been really fun talking with you. You're a really good speaker and your questions that are, are great. I get the A plus patient award today. <laughs> well, <the> patient, but yeah. <laughs> 
Yes, I'm. I'm very happy to call you my friend. And I'm. We were. We actually are in the same town right now. We were so uh, excited to do this podcast together. But with remote everything, it, we actually had to be separated. But I will hopefully see you very soon. So let's just tell um, my viewers and listeners rather where to find you. Um, and where, like, I know you have Instagram and your website and all that stuff. Well, the, my website has all the information, but it's my first name, P-I-E-R, last name, B-O-U-T-I-N-M-D.com. So Pierre Boutin, M-D.com. And my Instagram is the same thing. It's at Pierre Boutin, M-D. Uh, M-D. And you, and in order, when you type it in, you have to say it in your head in the French accent. So at Pierre Boutin, M-D, please, s'il vous plaît. Uh, well, thank you so much. We really, really enjoyed talking to you and I will have you back again. So don't forget to make sure that you're counterbalancing some of your fun with health and wellness and don't stress yourself out too much about being like a, you know, A-level athlete. Just move your body, read your labels, be conscious about the choices that you're making today and be accountable for your tomorrow. Welcome to Hollaback. This is the part of my podcast where I answer all of your questions. At Steph O'Sully17 asks, I'd like to hear more about your Berkshire pool, aka garage house. I just watched season six of Roni and I loved your house. Did you end up building anything else on the property? Well, thank you so much. So much. It's so funny that Ramona called my house a garage. And I guess for some people, it's the size of some of their garages. But what we designed up in the Berkshires was initially it was an old New England type design where there are three structures. There's a house, a barn and an outhouse. And so we got this great business advice. And that was don't build your main house first, build your outhouse first. And our outhouse was going to be a pool house. And so that was great advice that we got. So we built the pool house first. And then after living in it for a few years and learning some mistakes, architectural design building mistakes, we realized we didn't want a bigger house. You know, we were only there two days a week and we had built this four bedroom, you know, structure. So we changed some of the design properties of the pool house we made it into more of a house. Now we're going to add another structure that is really just a main living quarter, like almost like a master suite. We will never build a big main house, but we want to build a master suite now. That will come next. And currently we just broke ground and we're building our garage. So we're building a barn in the back. So we're still following through on the initial dream, but the plan has changed. And so we are constantly uh, up in, in the Berkshires and working on the property. And we have beautiful motorcycle trails around the house. So thank you. I love that you love my house. And I love that it's a work in progress for us. And so keep your eyes out for the barn. I'll be posting it soon. My next question is from Amanda Secor. That's at ACCOR27. Amanda asks, how do you find the time to exercise and what's your diet? I love this question for so many reasons. And the first one is because it's a simple answer. And finally, I recognize that diet and exercise are not a big mystery. And, you know, marketing propaganda and the pressures of society put so much pressure on us that we forget that it's very simple. And what I do is moving our body, moving your body is natural. So I don't force workouts anymore where I sweat in a pool of water and I'm like exhausted after the workout. 
I consistently dedicate myself to myself three days a week where I do some sort of exercise with weights, with my body, strength training, and that's what I do. And it's, it's something that when you stop taking the pressure off of nurturing your body and you make it more just an everyday basic, like brushing your teeth, then it becomes not such a burden, but it becomes part of our lifestyle. So if I don't move and exercise my body, like I don't feel right anymore. And I don't, and I'll tell you, I'm not doing these crazy workouts where I'm exhausted afterwards. So just dedicate yourself, start with two days a week, start with one day a week. If you're doing five and you feel like you can't keep up with it, break it back to three and just make those, those three workouts really focused and important diet. I keep it simple. I don't buy anything that says diet on the label. I literally eat food as close to nature as I can. I watch my portion control. That is one of the biggest issues we have in food consumption today in this country is portion control. So I eat adequate amounts of food that make me feel full and satisfied. I look to food and I put them in three categories, social food, medical food, my food is medicine and fuel. My food is fuel. And when I look at those categories, like when am I fueling my body? When do I need to use food as medicine to help heal my body? And when do I want to just go and have fun and feed my soul with food and use it socially? And I have kind of different rules, so to speak, for those three categories. If I'm using food as medicine because I'm suffering a cold or I feel something coming on, I use anti-inflammatory foods in my diet and I focus on immune boosting type of foods in my diet. When I'm fueling my body because I know I'm going to do a workout or I have a, a long you know, business meeting ahead of me, then I want to make sure I have plenty of you know, adequate healthy proteins and lots of greens and I'm, I'm eating a balanced meal that's going to fuel my body. And when I'm eating for social pleasure, I eat whatever the hell I want. And that's basically how it goes. So don't get caught up in too much propaganda. Keep it simple. Get back to basics. Read the labels. Dieting is simply calories in, calories out. And it's not much more than that. Thank you so much for the question. Love you all. And be sure to follow along at I am Heather T and send me any questions. Don't forget to subscribe and download wherever you stream your podcast and join us next week for another episode.